Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. And this is Courtney. And we talk about the do-do's and don't-do's of personalized learning. And pandemic learning, depending on what time of the year or if it's 2020, we're, we're talking about <laughs> pandemic. That is very true. <laughs> uh, we, we were off for a week or so. Yeah, uh, because you, Matt, Shay, were traveling cross country. I did. I have moved all the way from Maine to the other side of the country in Southern California. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Drove all the way across. Uh, which is something I would not suggest to any human ever again. Well, uh, it was worth it to do it once. It was very fun. I had uh, once in my life before I drove from Maine to Florida and back. Mm. And uh, that was as I thought it was going to be the only time I'd have a chance. And now that I've done this, you're right. I've done it once and everybody should experience uh, 3,700 miles of travel with two cats. Um. No, I, I would do it maybe without the cats. <laughs> True, it, just, it makes it a little more fun when the cats see a new hotel room every single night. They're like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> uh, but we are really like their carriers. Like, uh, here. They did get used to it. That is very true. Very true. They are much happier to be at home now. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we're here to talk about a whole bunch of things. A whole bunch of stuff. Uh, now that it is June in the pandemic. Yeah. And there's been a lot happening the last couple of weeks since we've talked to you. There has, there's been a lot going on in the world in the past couple of weeks, for sure. So let's start with, uh, let's start with this one first. Uh, okay. I was talking to somebody here in California who did a survey about their parents, to their parents, about what school is going to look like in the fall. Mm. And this person told me that about 40% of the parents we're not going to send their kids back in the fall. Wow. And I'm not surprised, I said, but once you actually think of how many kids that is in, kids. in whatever district you're in, that's almost half Yeah. that just aren't going to show up, whether right. it is acceptable and safe, uh, which we've talked about before that it may not be. Right. Um, regardless, they're not going to send their kids back in the fall. They're going to try to find some other way to do it, yeah. uh, whether it is through our public schools or they're going to find another option. Right. And Virtual. I expect to see, I think, nationwide um, a spike in kind of the virtual school enrollment. Yeah. I think that people are going to really try to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, especially in the fall. And I think some of the virtual learning environments might have an edge. Mm -hmm. uh, because they've done it in the past, yeah. but it also the all the other schools that don't have experience have had experience the last couple of months. Yes, they have, and know what's good and what is not working. And right. I think they're going to spend the next six to eight weeks or so trying to figure out what does work. Yeah, I think that has been what I've seen too. Um, I think it may be the case that California is a like kind of time wise a couple weeks ahead. Yep. as far as the whole school planning thing, because I think I heard you say it's early August that the return to school happens. Yeah, around the 10th yeah. or so from what I gather. Yeah. So there, there's almost a whole month before Maine learners yep. go back to school, right, for the new school year. Yep. Um, 
But that idea of surveying the parents is a strong one that is, you know, there's a lot of talk about that right now in Maine. I haven't heard any results yet mm -hmm. of what people are finding, but I'll be curious to see. I do know that anecdotally, um, that is a concern and that's a reality that a lot of parents are questioning um, whether they would send their children back to the building should the buildings be open. Yep. Um, and I know that all of the districts in Maine are making a really thoughtful effort to plan for um, the case of hybrid or distance learning so that it won't be kind of like, oh, well, you know, so like the, that the parents that choose not to do that have options. Like that's been a part of the calculation um, since we started thinking about what happens come the end of August. Right. So I, as you were talking there, I know some of the discussions we've had before that kids go maybe every other day or every third day or twice a week mm -hmm. or something or for the mornings, but not the afternoons. And, right. and there's a lot of other issues that, that go along with that, a lot of financial issues, especially. Um, but I wonder with all of that strangeness, as it were, whether I as a parent would be like, well, I'm just not going to send my kid at all. Hmm. Continue the distance learning. We'll figure that out. But because uh, I don't even want them going once a week or twice a week or whatever hybrid thing you come up with, do something else for me. Yeah. And I think districts need to be prepared for that oh, absolutely. For, for everything, whether yeah. it's the, the limited number of kids they have in school. Because if I, I think at this point, if anybody thinks they're going to get all of their kids back in any form, it's not happening. It's just not going to happen. And I think we need to just get past that. Right. right now and figure out what we do need to do for these kids. Yeah. Um, and most of it is going to be in some alternate session like, like, uh, like that, like we're doing right now on zoom. Yeah. Um, how do we reach these kids and how do we get at these kids? And I think part of it gets in, into the next thing that we want to talk about. Uh, I also am hearing from some of the districts out here that they haven't even been able to reach some of the kids. Yeah, at that all. is a reality up here in Maine as well. Well, in, in some of the districts that I, that I remember in Maine, uh, way back when I was in Maine, you know, all those days ago, uh, <laughs> some districts were doing a lot better than others, and they were really making an effort uh, to get every single kid. And out here, the, the schools are just so much bigger. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you know, in uh, Oceanside, where I am, there are 22 schools in yeah. just this town. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a big town. There's 160,000 people here, but there's still, there's 22 schools. Yeah. And I, I don't know exactly how many kids, but uh, I'll just put a lot of kids. A lot. <laughs> and, and I know in talking to some of the other people that, that are in this area, not just Oceanside, um, they're having a tough time reaching like the last 20% of their kids. Yeah. They, they just can't get to them. Um, and that, that we talked about this before, the, the matter of, of inequity in our schools mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. systemic inequity that we um, continue to have in our, yeah. the school system that exists for these days, not the ones yeah. that we want, but the, the school system that exists, it's, it's the old factory model. Yeah. And it's okay to weed kids out, basically. And when you're finding those missing 20% of the kids that you don't, you can't even find them, and it's not safe to go to their houses because of the pandemic, then, then how do you actually 
get to these kids. Right. And that's assuming they're even still in their houses. Well, exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of the superintendents I was talking to last week was saying that they were trying to reach a few of their kids that they, they always struggled with finding. Uh, and they were finding that some of them uh, went to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Some of them went back over the border to family in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, some went over to Arizona. And they had no idea, of course, because, you know, your first thought when you're trying to survive is not, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to call the school. I'm not going to call the school and let them know that, well, I might be in Colorado for a few weeks with family uh, in a pandemic. You just go and try to be safe. Right. And, and that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it also, it, I, I keep reading these things about summer slides and how it's going to accelerate those things and kids, kids everywhere are going to be behind. And it's just such a backwards mindset. Yeah. that we've talked about before. Yeah, so yeah. That's, yeah. that's just where they are, right? Right. That's and, just where they are. and even even if, right, okay, so if, if you want to say there actually was such a thing as being behind before, when you essentially hit the reset button, <laughs> right, or when everyone is suddenly in the same situation of not having access to the same kind of experience they had before, is there even such a thing as behind, period? I'm going to say no. I would agree. I think it forces people to think about things in a different way. If, if we've just taken two months where some kids are getting access to their education and some aren't mm -hmm. more than usual, but kids are going to be behind. Even the ones that are ahead in a pandemic learning situation are still going to be behind, behind in quotation marks here where they would have been had they had school every day. Right. So behind doesn't mean anything anymore. No. But are we prepared as a country or a world basically to accept that and think of something else. Right. And correct they some have, of these. Kind of have to be. Well, you know, think of, think of all the things that have happened in the last week or so about, mm -hmm. you know, George Floyd and the, the protests that have happened across the country and uh, the violence and the riots and the uh, leadership from our governments. Um, hasn't exactly helped any of these situations. No. And it's perpetuating such inequity. And our educational system is, is a little piece of, of what happens, but I think it's our responsibility as educators to fix what we can, to help what we can. Yeah, 100%, I agree. And I think it's also super important for us to recognize um, that just like every other system that we're living in in the United States, the public education system is inherently racist. It just is. Agreed. Um, and while you know, uh, both you and I have some level of expertise with public education, I'm not going to stand here and say that I even have any useful level of expertise in dissecting and understanding the racism inherent in our public education system. Um, but I know that it's there, right? And I know that there are some things that happen and I've seen some things happen mm -hmm. in schools here in Maine. I think one of the ones that's 
the most easiest to see and talk about is the, the fact that um, students of color, particularly male students of color, black male students have significantly higher discipline rates than other students. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is due to inherent biases and racism of, um, of, of the white teachers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not standing here saying, pointing the finger saying anyone is bad. This is, it, it is deeply ingrained, mm -hmm. right? It's some things that people do, we do without even really realizing it. And it takes having the light show, like being shown on it to, to do something about it. Right. Um, so I think that that, yeah, that we need to, as we're coming back in the fall or whenever schools come back, you know, this, this idea of equity, it's bigger than just um, internet access. Right. It includes the issues of race and racism. It includes lots of other things, but I, you know, I think right now, I think in this week, that has come to the forefront for a lot of schools, especially schools that perhaps don't feel that they have to deal with race issues on a regular basis because their populations are majority white. Right. And I'm going to say that as a part of a population, white, I'm a white woman, part of the white population and leading an organization that serves schools that are majority white, that it's even more important that we deal with race issues and figure out how to adjust our systems as best we can to address racism and educate the white people that we do have. I would fully agree. And, you know, as a random white guy who's an administrator, I, I don't know a lot of, of how to say it and address it uh, because you're right, coming from Maine, uh, it, it is majority white and it's not like a 55, 60% majority. It's like 95% white. And I don't have, I don't personally don't have a lot of experience in schools where there are uh, minorities, period. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right when it when you talked about the discipline issues. Uh, I saw that in the schools that I have worked mm -hmm. at. Yeah. Uh, even with the very limited number of minorities, uh, they always seem to be in the office. Yes. For and some then reason. They're, they're missing out on education. Absolutely. They're being prevented from engaging in education. And that's that's just not right. I mean, no. I don't I don't think we need to like plant a flag on that and say, hey, that's not right because <laughs> right. it's you know it's fairly obvious. Yeah. But if we're not doing something about it, that's that's on us. And yeah. I think the five years we've been doing this, <clears throat> we've had a lot of talks about how to help educational systems, mm. uh, reorganizing them, uh, reimagining them. Yeah. But. Part of it is going to be about what do we do about racism? Yes. Um, and it's, I always, I always read these things that, you know, all we have to do is solve racism. And it's like, well, good luck. <laughs> I don't know how you can do that. Yeah, I think it, it, we need to educate people about racism and that you're right, it is inherent in our structures. Yeah, it is. And how do we alleviate that? Because we're not going to be able to fix it. Right.
uh, that's not that's a that's something that is I think a little bit beyond educators' control, but we can definitely help educate people on yeah where it came from, why it's still happening, um, what to do about it, what what to do about when you see it mm-hmm. happening, and how to make better decisions yeah. that take race into account and inequities into account. And I guess I want to jump in and say something really important that um, we should not put the emotional labor of explaining what needs to be done or why it needs to be done on people of color. So like Matt, I heard you say like, I don't actually have some of the information I need. And that's true, Mm -hmm. I don't either. Um, but it's important that we take the steps ourselves to try to find the information before engaging with a person of color. Like a black person or a brown person should not be the first person we reach out to to say, hey, can you help me understand this? Or can you, like, that's, that's emotional labor that's not fair. Right, agreed. Um, agreed. So, so I think what I'll do, um, we've started our bookshop.org um, reading lists. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, spend some time this evening and put one up, put up some books about just about white fragility, about racism in general, and see if I can find some good texts about um, racism in education so that our listeners anyway have some places to go to. That sounds like a great idea, Courtney. Yeah. A great idea. Um, I list- I try to listen to uh, all the podcasts I can. And mm. uh, going back to the beginning of the episode, I, I just spent seven days driving across the country. <laughs> so I listened to a lot you of podcasts. To one or two podcasts <laughs> of just a few. <laughs> and a lot of them uh, were about uh, COVID 19, of course, uh, because I'm trying to figure out what what is happening with that and up to date stuff. And a lot of it gets, uh, they talk about uh, race in the COVID 19 because. Yep. Uh, minorities uh, uh, are dying at higher rates. Than- higher rates, yeah. Uh, what is it's uh, black, Asian Americans, and uh, minority ethnic. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, I, I do it in a lot of the the soccer sense because I listen to soccer podcasts a lot. Now that it's coming back, um, if anybody is, is sports fans, some some of the soccer players in England, especially, are having a tough time accepting that they are okay to come back because they are minorities and they realize that if they get COVID-19, there's a higher rate of them of getting Mm -hmm. sicker or dying uh, than just your average person who gets it. Uh, So there's been so much in the news the last couple of weeks. I think it is our responsibility to talk about these things. Yeah. Uh, And that's what we wanted to bring to our listeners this week. Yeah. So th- thank you for listening to this. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for continuing to think. And even when it's hard. And um, even if you don't know what to talk about. Right. Even if you don't know what to think, just think about it. Read up on it. Listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Talk to your friends. Uh, don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, don't Just don't be afraid to talk about it. Because right. this is the, the attitudes and, and lessons we need to get across to our kids when they do return to us. Yeah. So.
So with that, uh, we'll talk soon. Excellent. It doesn't matter.